Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 251. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Now, welcome to episode 251. If this is your first time here, welcome. You have a lot of catching up to do. I hear all the time from students that binge listen to all of the episodes and they finish in like a couple weeks. And that kind of scary. It's, it's scary to me that they sit there and listen to me for that long. But that's okay. You have lots of time to listen, catch up on these old episodes. If this is not your first time here, welcome back. I appreciate you coming and putting those headphones on or plugging me in the car and taking a listen. This week, I have a great guest. She's not a physician. She's not a medical student. She's not a pre-med, but she is married to a doctor and is, has now written a book called Love in the Time of Medical School, all about helping keep relationships going through the stressful time of being a pre-med, being a medical student, and then being a physician. She's a marriage and family therapist intern, and her husband is a second-year emergency medicine resident, and they started dating when he was starting to study for the MCAT. Sarah Epstein is coming on the show to not just talk to you, the pre-med, but also to your significant other. So this is a great episode for you to share with that loved one in your life that is going through this process with you. This episode will help both of you. Stay to the end and find out how you can win one of five copies of Sarah's book, Love in the Time of Medical School. Let's go ahead and dive right in. Sarah, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm excited for this conversation because this conversation is going to be very different than every other one that we had. Not only are you not a medical student, you're not a physician. 
But this conversation really isn't it isn't for the pre med or medical student. It's for the significant other for the uh, of those students. Yeah, absolutely. And there are so many of us who have gone through medical school and and residency with you know with a medical student um, as their partner. And there are a lot of challenges that the couple faces together, and that the significant other deals with on their own. So you went through this process as a significant other, and mm-hmm. you ended up writing a book, Love in the Time of Medical School. Talk about your background as a therapist, and then we'll dive into the book and, and what significant others can learn from all of the research that you've done. Sure. So uh, I'm, I'm finishing up my training as a marriage and family therapist here in Philadelphia, Um, and I started writing this book about three years ago, um, when my husband was a third year in medical school and, uh, he was on his surgery rotation and it was sort of, it felt like the pinnacle of, of all the challenges, right? He was working 15 hour days. I didn't really know what to expect. And I thought there is so much I wish I had known going into this process, um, in terms of what I can expect, how to understand what medical school looks like, what kinds of relationship issues would come up each year. Uh, and so I started putting this together. I, I started writing my own experiences. I started conducting research about physician couples. Um, and I started interviewing other significant others of medical students to get a sense for what other people's experiences have been like. When did you come into the picture of being a significant other of somebody on their journey to become a physician? Yeah. So, um, I started dating my husband, Brian, uh, when he was a senior, we were both, uh, at Brandeis university and we started dating. And then about a month later, he started studying for the MCATs. So, Probably not the smartest decision in hindsight, but um, I really got to see kind of the whole journey from taking the MCATs and applying to med school through through now. And, and he's a, a second year emergency medicine resident uh, here in Philadelphia now. Looking back on those days as a college student, right, the, the best years of your life, some will say, <laughs> um, you started dating somebody who was dedicating his life to the MCAT, which I'm assuming he did if he was successful in the MCAT. Oh, yeah. You, you need to dedicate yourself to that. What do you think happened back, back then that led to the relationship surviving the MCAT? So the MCAT was really my first taste of what it means to be dating someone who is, it was dedicating themselves to a life in medicine. Um, and being kind of supportive and asking a lot of questions and finding interesting ways to spend time together when, you know, he was studying a lot was really key for us. So, sitting down and and finding ways for us to even just be in the same room and eat, you know, I was still doing homework and he was studying, finding those little times where we could take study breaks and really starting to think of this as, as something that, uh, 
we could, we could kind of face together. And I, that team mentality, certainly he was doing all of the work, but, uh, feeling like I was cheering him on, um, and, you know, marking his progress in studying made me feel like this was something we were kind of going at together. From, from his point of view or from your point of view, what, what did he do that helped you understand what his priorities were? Mm, that's a great question. Well, we talked about it. Um, we talked a lot and, and over the course of medical school, that has been one of the fundamental keys to making it through each step, because the reality is unlike other, you know, processes of training medical school and the pre-med experience every year is something different. Suddenly you have a, a new schedule, new goals that you have to reach. So talking through what it means to him to do well on the MCATs, um, having him hear my concerns about getting to spend time together, feeling validated by Brian that it was still important that we get to spend time together. Um, so kind of having that dialogue and renegotiating basically over the last seven years over and over again, what our relationship is going to look like and not taking for granted that we'll make it work because if you, if you, think it'll just, it'll just work on its own. It, it really isn't true. Um, there are too many variables and too many priorities to kind of put in place. And sometimes it just meant, um, this is going to be his priority for now. And we can't wait to celebrate after the MCATs or after the applications are in. <laughs> There's always an after the next step celebration. <sighs> yeah, there, there is. And, but that's always got to be balanced with the fact that, um, having this attitude of postponement, and this is actually a thing that many physician spouses, uh, take on, you know, we'll wait until X, Y, and Z is over. We want to balance having that sense of the big picture, but not putting everything on hold. Yeah. When, when it came to applying to medical school, so, so you met Brian, he's a medical student or not a medical student. He's a pre-med studying for the MCAT, applications are next. And at that yeah. point, you guys are just dating. Uh, I think it was only a year into things as he's deciding yeah. where to go to school and and, and um, where to send applications to. When that conversation comes up for, for somebody that's going through this process, how much emphasis should you as the significant other be putting into the decision-making process for that student. Um, totally. So there, there's a, there's a whole chapter on this. Um, it's an important question because depending on where your relationship is, that's going to impact, uh, what kind of say you get and what sort of input you have. Um, at the time when Brian was applying to medical school, we decided that I, that our relationship, um, wasn't far enough along that I would have a say in where he applied. Um, so he really made the decisions based on his scores and his grades of where he's going to apply. And I played kind of a supportive role and then helped on the other end when he had his acceptances to think through what made the most sense for him and kind of infusing 
thoughts about what would make sense for us. So thinking about where is your relationship at the time that they apply and having that conversation with your partner about, uh, about whether you should have a say if you're already married, if you're in a very committed relationship, that could, that could look different. It could mean that you have more of a say, this is something that we are doing. This is something that we need to think about, but it's really kind of one of the struggles is that, um, in general with, with navigating medical school as a couple, um, that medicine kind of dictates the timeline sometimes. So whether your relationship is ready or not, you're going to have to make some big decisions around who gets a say in medical school, who gets a say in where we go and what we do. And it, if you've only been dating for a few months, that can feel really out of sync with where your relationship is. Um, and it's kind of that first taste for those of us who are partners of, of people in medicine, that medicine really calls the shots sometimes. Um, <laughs> that is true. Yeah. For, yeah. for somebody who, obviously, you're uh, in training to, to be a therapist, and, <laughs> and it, I'm assuming you are a great communicator, and it sounds like <laughs> Brian either was or now is because of you. Um, how, if somebody's in a relationship with someone who isn't a great communicator, how do you open up a dialogue and, and have that discussion to say, look, I love you, but we haven't been dating that long, so <laughs> I don't care what you think. I'm going to apply where I want. Yeah. So uh, I think framing it for, for the medical student it, it can or for the pre-med, um, I think the tone and the, the way you frame that conversation is really important. Um, I think uh, pre-med students are rightfully uh, very protective over their ownership of the process. You know, they've worked exceptionally hard to get where they are, and it can kind of feel like this is mine. Um, and, and that's perfectly acceptable and, and appropriate if the relationship isn't at a certain point. So talking in terms of yourself and saying something like, I'm feeling like this is, I, I need to prioritize what I need during this application process. Um, but I would love your help to look at the options or, you know, are you also feeling this nervousness around the application process? Let's sit down and talk about it. Um, so really being gentle about it, right? The, not the, uh, like, this isn't about you <laughs> yeah. is probably something you want to avoid. Talking in I statements, um, saying, talking about how hard you've worked and that you're excited and, um, that maybe you want your partner to be involved in, in helping you research schools, but maybe you, you want the ultimate decision over what that means, but you're so excited to have their feedback about, you know, what seems like a good fit. If you're a pre-med and you've been dating someone, that person probably knows you pretty well. So, you know, you know me well, let's look at this together. Let's look at cities. Let's look at, you know, what my priorities are. Um, and that way you can kind of include the person, even if the decision is ultimately something you're going to do on your own. When you made the decision, uh, I guess when Brian made the decision to go to, to medical school, the, the medical school that he went to, 
mm-hmm. at that point for you guys, what what were you doing? Did did you just go where he went and figured out what to do next, or did you keep things separate and made things mm-hmm. work long distance? You know, it was that was one of the hardest parts, and and for for the medical students out there, that's that's a really hard thing for the, for the significant other, because medical school is rigid. You're going to be somewhere for four years. People feel, you know, you can be very lucky to get in at all and then feel like you have options. And so what we did, I was at, we were actually long distance my first year. I was living in Thailand, his first year of medical school. So not only did we do long distance, (laughs) we were 12 hours apart. Um, and after that, when I got back, uh, we, I moved to Miami, um, knowing nobody, I didn't have a network there. We went to school in Boston. I'm from Dallas originally. So really I did pick up and move to a place where I knew nobody to see if we could make it work. And that was really hard. That's hard for, um, a number of reasons in terms of feeling like an independent woman. What does it mean about me that I'm moving for my boyfriend, for my boyfriend's career? What does this mean? Does this mean I'm prioritizing his career training over my own and things like that? Um, so it's a really hard decision. Not everyone can make the decision that to, to move for their partner. Um, a lot of things have to come into play, but we've done, we've done the long distance and we, and we, you know, and then I moved for him. I'm assuming that that first year wasn't terrible because as a first year medical student, he's even more dedicated to school than he was <laughs> for the MCAT. So you weren't missing much when when you were having conversations with him. How was he taking a going through the medical school process, um, being apart from you and B. Uh, knowing that uh, you were far away, how is he handling that long distance? Yeah. So everything was new. I think one of the things that really helped us was before I moved to Thailand, I went and I visited uh, Miami. And so I saw his apartment. We went and walked around the medical school. So one of the things that really helped me feel connected to his world um, was being able to picture it and being able to uh, picture what he was doing and who he was spending time with. Um, to some extent, it's always going to feel a little alien for someone who's not in medical school to hear about the experience. But fortunately, you know, first year, it's exceptionally busy, but it's it's fairly easy to kind of understand and have a grasp of at least what your partner is doing. Um, it, the hardest part was that he couldn't conceive understandably of what my life was like in Thailand. Um, You know, I was living in a fishing village, teaching Thai children their ABCs. um, And so that inability for him to come visit, get a sense for my world was really difficult. Um, And we also had to grapple with the fact that before we were long distance, we could pick up and talk to each other whenever. It didn't require a lot of forethought. Um, but then, you know, suddenly we can't talk between the hours of 12 and seven because someone's asleep, right? And he's got this incredibly busy schedule. I've got this incredibly busy schedule. So consciously making times for us to Skype with each other, that was vital and prioritizing it. Even if we were both tired, it was first thing in the morning, 
you know, he had to miss an event or, or something like that, really putting in that FaceTime. Um, and things honestly changed considerably when he, he did come to Thailand over winter break and it, it probably saved our relationship. What was harder being long distance and, and knowing that you, you guys are both doing your thing or coming back to the States, moving to Miami and being there, not knowing anybody and having the potential to be around him, but he's just so busy with school. So you don't see him anyway. Yeah. In some ways, it's interesting that you say that in some ways that, that first year of living in Miami was harder. Um, at least we had set expectations when we were apart, we created routines to make sure we were talking to each other. Um, but when I moved to Miami with a new job in a new apartment, uh, he had his friends, he had his routine, he had his support systems, and he had an exceptionally busy schedule. You know, second year, second year is, is incredibly difficult, and then you start studying for step one. So, so we had to once again kind of renegotiate what our time together would look like. And sometimes, again, that was just sitting in the same room. Um, while we're each kind of doing our thing and finding other ways to feel connected and, and sort of fostering those smaller, smaller ways to connect when we couldn't be together. You ended up being the, the third wheel, basically, when you show up and be like, <laughs> hi, I'm moving in. You're like, who are you? <laughs> I have my routines. Yeah. I mean, I, I was the third wheel to medical school. Mm -hmm. What did he do? So, so what can our listener take away? What did Brian do that allowed you to be part of his life and allowed that relationship to continue? Yeah. So there are a few things that are really vital. Um, the first is keeping for the medical student. Brian was always really good about keeping me aware of what his schedule would look like, feeling like I knew where he was going to be. Um, and staying in touch when he was going to have to study longer than he thought, or uh, he had to go to an extra lab or something like that. So really, no knowledge makes you feel a little bit more in control, because at least if he couldn't see me, I could plan. Um, so to the extent that he could let me know what was going on, especially into third and fourth year when he was doing something different every month with a different schedule and different expectations. That was really, really important. Um, and then small gestures became a lot more important. Uh, taking the time to take a study break and go out for coffee, um, taking on little tasks uh, around the house, taking time to also notice those breaks in the schedule, the, um, Medical school is always busy, but there are points in the schedule that are less busy than other points. And couples who are dealing with medical school really have to be intentional about noticing the ebb and flow. So right after an exam, when the new material hasn't piled up yet, taking advantage of that time to spend more time together right? Taking advantage right before you're going to start an intense study period, spending that time together to sort of save up some time in, in the bank. And then when those really difficult study periods come along or someone's working a 15-hour day on surgery, 
we started texting each other more and we started, he would leave me little post-it notes telling me he missed me around the house. And it was, um, it was always such a, a, a jolt, right? The, that little, that knowledge that he was thinking of me and thinking of our relationship, even when he couldn't invest in it at that moment. When you went to Miami and didn't have a network of people to, mm-hmm. to connect with, what was it like with the rest of the medical school class in the community there? Was it easy to connect with other uh, medical school widows and, and <laughs> significant others to, to find some camaraderie in that environment? Yeah, there were some. So the whole, the whole, and we can talk about this, you know, hanging out with groups of medical students is, is quite the experience in terms of, um, feeling a sense of alienation. But sometimes at medical school events, people would have parties and their, and their significant others would come. And that was kind of how we met. Um, and then we would kind of call on each other. Uh, we would call on each other when one of our partners was on a tough rotation, when they were both studying at the same time. I had one uh, friend from college, actually, whose partner was in Brian's class. And so during study weekends, we'd hit each other up and we'd plan a girls weekend. Um, and that's the ability to do that, to connect with other people who get it is uh, it was, it was, it saved me a lot of sanity. Um, I remember one time I had a friend whose, whose boyfriend was in the class with Brian and we were gonna, we were gonna have a glass of wine in the late afternoon, six thirty or seven. And she texted me and said, you know, uh, Josh, her, her boyfriend at the time, um, Josh is on surgery. He's going to bed at eight and I'm setting my schedule to meet his. Can we do wine at five? I said, of course, right? Cause you get it. It's other people who get it that you're, that you're living this weird schedule and that you're, you're doing your best to match the medical school schedule. So you get to see them and it, it makes a big difference to have other people who get that. Were there other resources besides the local community there that you leaned on for support during that time? Yeah. So I think anyone who's dating a medical student really needs to tap into uh, like an emotional support system, right? Friend, if you're, if you're local, if you have, if you're lucky enough to live in a place where you have a big network of friends, letting, letting your friends know and letting your family know this is the reality. And I might need a night out when, when my partner is studying, or I need to vent about this. I need to vent about what it's like to, to be dating someone in medical school and finding those specific people in your network. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, not everyone is equally good to vent to, Mm -hmm. right? Some people, some people want to solve a problem (laughs) when you want to vent to them, um, and having one or two people who you can call up and say, I just, I just need to talk for a minute, for a few minutes. Um, and they'll say, all right, bring it on. And, and having those people, so family, close friends, people who get it, those, those friends or those significant others of medical students, again, incredibly vital. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a little biased, but I'm also a big fan of therapy yeah. as a support system. As you were going through the process, 
of medical school with Brian. What were the hardest times for you as a couple? Was was it studying for step one at the end of second year? Was it the start of rotations and him working 12, 15, 16 hours a day? At what points were the hardest? Sure. So in terms of study periods, step one was by far the hardest. Um, I remember, honestly, after step one was over, I think at some point I was just talking to him and I broke down crying because there were just so many things I hadn't gotten to tell him and so many conversations we'd had to put on hold. So much gets put on, put on hold and both people, the person studying the, you know, the partner of the person who's studying have to go into long-term thinking mode, right? You can't have those day-to-day times together. Um, so in terms of studying, that was definitely the most difficult point. Um, rotations are really difficult at the beginning and third year because suddenly, uh, first and second year are difficult, but predictable. Third year becomes incredibly unpredictable because not only is your partner doing a, a different rotation every month, but they have a different schedule. They have different attending physicians who can make the experience easier or more difficult. Um, schedules don't always get stuck to because someone needs to stay late or an emergency comes in. So really adapting to that, that changing schedule over and over can be really difficult. So having that schedule in advance and having Brian talk to classmates about what this rotation was like so that we can feel prepared. Okay, he's going to be working 15-hour days. I'm putting five social events for myself on the calendar, um, and we're going to spend a bunch of time together before that starts. So that became a really important part of our preparation. Uh, I <laughs> Interestingly, so, so surgery was really tough, obviously, because he was working very long days. We had an unusually difficult time with his pediatrics rotation. And the reason for that is because we both expected it to be a very light rotation and it turned out not to be. So that feeling like we had prepared and then getting the, the rug pulled out from under us was especially difficult. So that unpredictability, I think, is the biggest factor for couples when you're when you're dealing with, you know, rotations. It's amazing when when reality doesn't meet expectations. That's when the biggest problems happen. It's a hundred percent true. It was it, it, if you can if you can feel like you're ready for it. Okay, surgery, bring it on. I'm in the right mindset. Okay, I don't see him for twelve hours. I knew that was coming, but God, when he was gone for that long on his pediatrics rotation, it was killer because we hadn't we weren't ready. We hadn't prepared. You did some research in writing this book and talking to mm-hmm. other significant others who were in similar shoes as to you. What were some of the common complaints that they had that that were coming up over and over again? Mm. Yeah, so it was interesting. There were definitely themes that came up again and again. Uh, certainly, the lack of time together was one of the biggest ones. Um, and within that... Everyone, almost everyone talked about how they would avoid feeling like they were waiting 
for their partner, that sense of waiting, waiting for them to get home at the end of the day, waiting for them to finish with this exam, waiting for them to finish with medical school so that so that you could move on and feeling sort of powerless in the face of, of all of that waiting. Um, it, it, there's something waiting is passive and it's difficult to hold on to for long periods of time when it's not your career. It's not your exam. You're, you're kind of put in this passive role of just having to, to sit and watch your partner do these things that are taking up all this time. So they talked about the things they would do to make it feel like they weren't waiting. Right. And, um, when their partner would finally be free, if they had already made plans, they stuck to those plans because you can't drop everything and, and relinquish your life to medical school. Um, so definitely that sense of waiting, um, that sense of loneliness that can come up when you feel like your, your partner's just not available. They're not available. And, um, feeling like you said, almost, you know, like a medical school, you know, widow or orphan in that way. I had one woman tell me she, when her husband was in school, uh, she felt like she was married to the shadow of the person she met. Um, she felt like she was married to the idea of this person because in reality they were never there. Um, and one of the other big things that comes up is navigating uh, social circles that involve a ton of medical people. As I'm sure you know, when a bunch of medical students or doctors or residents get in get in the same room, that becomes kind of the topic of conversation. So dealing with the feelings around that uh, became was one of the things that all of them talked about. Yeah, and even as somebody who's gone through the process. When when I would get together with my wife and her fellow residents, she she mm -hmm. went through neurology residency. They would yeah. they would niche down and talk about neurology stuff, and I felt like the outsider, <laughs> even though I was a physician myself. It's like this is a bunch of nerds talking about neurology stuff. Like, <laughs> I, I want to talk about something else. So it's exactly. it always continues wherever you go. Yeah, and having your partner be aware that that's a reality, right? If you're if you're sitting in a, with a group of medical students. There's a few different things that come up. First of all, in our household, we have a no yucky stuff rule because I will faint just hearing <laughs> the gross stuff. My husband's an emergency medicine doctor. There are so many things that I never hear about because I can't handle it. But he knows that he's got 20 other people in his life who are happy to hear about it and I'll hear about other things. Um, but even that yucky stuff aspect, I, in the book, I talk about how, um, so my dad's the oldest of four boys and, uh, my grandfather, my Zadie was an anesthesiologist. And the joke in the family was that all the girlfriends who came over for Shabbat dinner had to pass the test of sitting through his surgery stories. And, uh, <laughs> my mom tells me of one particular dinner when she was dating my dad, when, my, my Zadie is talking about intestines coming out of someone's body during a surgery. And my, my Nana was serving spaghetti <laughs> and, and just, just put just that, that sort of unaware, that, that unaware, unawareness, that, that lack of awareness that not everyone can handle that. 
Um, and that for and the other thing is that most of us don't speak medical, right? Jargon comes up and um, a lot of medical students, partners that I spoke with talked about feeling incredibly isolated. They felt dumb because they, they didn't know the words. They didn't know what it meant when someone talked about blood pressure numbers and whatever they were learning in nephrology that day. And it can be an incredibly alienating experience. And it's, it's interesting to hear that even as a physician that you've dealt with, you know, God, those, ne- those neurology nerds. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend in, in a social setting like that where you're, you're tagging along and all of the medical students get together and, and they're just talking shop to have mm-hmm. some sort of like keyword or phrase to to clue into your partner and be like, hey, time to change the subject. Mm, yeah, definitely. So when that happens, after the first time it happens, you'll you'll know it's coming. And so talking to your partner in advance and and giving them some kind of setting up a signal. That's exactly right. Setting up a signal so that they become aware of it too, right? Because going into it as a team. And, and feeling, making your partner feel like they're not alone in that moment that, that your partners and you're together on this and not that they're the med student and, and you're the non-med student. So having a little signal um, and if it can come from your partner who changes the subjects, that's great. That way you're not the, the non-student be, being the wet blanket on the conversation. Um, and sometimes it just looks like changing the conversation uh, to another aspect of of the topic. So I find certain things about the hospital incredibly interesting. The relationships between uh, attending physicians and residents and the medical students. So I'm happy to hear about that. I'm happy to ask about that. But that can be kind of a way to pivot the conversation away from the, the technical details. Um, so kind of having some of those tools. And when it comes to yucky stuff, sometimes it means having to be straightforward or having a signal with your partner so that they can step in and say, let's tell me about that later. You know, <laughs> my, you know, my partner doesn't want to hear it. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. When you look back at the journey that you've been on and having now survived it, Hmm. I'm going to assume that the, the number one thing that led to the relationship surviving and thriving, it, it comes down to communication. It does. Um, communication and th- I would say there are, there are probably three keys. So communication and for medical student couples, that means renegotiating what our relationship's going to look like as medical school progresses. Um, communication around uh, listening to each other's stress, right? So listening to the medical student talk about their stress and validating that stress and also the other way around. You know, it's stressful as the partner of a medical student. Medical school is stressful for us too. Not in the same way, not always to the same degree, but having Brian be able to validate that, yeah, this has been a rough journey for me too and you know, thinking about our future uh, goes a really long way. So, you know, having those little little gestures and little things that you talk about when things are tough, renegotiating the relationship, 
um, validating each other's stress. And do the second thing is just intentionality, right? That that you you can't just let it happen because it won't, right? Things will fall through the cracks. There's always more studying. There's always more to do at the hospital. And so being really intentional, um, both of you, in making sure that you find time together. And the third thing is flexibility. Um, for that was a really hard one for me as a med, uh, as I, I like to have a plan. I like to know what's going on. Um, and so being able to really sort of relinquish a little bit of the control, uh, and say, okay, you know, it turns out that we had planned to go out to dinner tonight and he can't come. I'm going to go do something else or, uh, you know, moving plans around, finding creative ways to spend time to each other and really being flexible about that was vital because without it, it will always drive you crazy because we just can't control it. Yeah. When you are going through this process and you have best friends or even family members sometimes that are giving you an earful. Why Why are you doing this? Why are you putting mm. your life on hold? Um, it's it's torture. He, he, he doesn't love you if he's spending all of his time at the hospital. How do you deal with that pull from other people? Yeah, it's it's amazing to hear the kinds of things people say to someone who's dating or married to a physician. And it runs from people telling you, I've had people tell me that all doctors cheat on their spouses, um, which is an insane thing to say to anyone. And why is that helpful? The extremes are never true. They're never true. And they, uh, people ask me if I'm going to raise kids alone one day. People have had the gall to tell me that, uh, oh, you'll never have to work. Um, or as if, as if my decision to work only has to do with finances and not, you know, my own ambitions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, that's one of the harder things to deal with. And sometimes it's, it's random acquaintances who make these comments about their assumptions, uh, telling me that we're going to be financially set at an early age, telling me that I'm not going to have to work, telling me what my, that my husband's going to divorce me. A little bit of it is, uh, judging your relationship to that person. Uh, you got to kind of pick your battles because it'll happen a lot. So, you know, kind of brushing it off or, or making a joke about it, um, can be the best in, the best response with an acquaintance um, and being maybe a little more honest with people and, and how it feels to hear that with, with people who are close and, you know, telling them what it means to support you, telling someone that telling your parent, like, this is really hard. This is the kind of support I need right now. I need you to be there to listen to me. And I can't be hearing things like, what are you doing? That's not helpful. Right. I like I want to surround myself with people who are going to be encouraging and supportive. And I think it's okay to tell people what you need from them, even if it's not their first instinct. As we wrap up here for a student who's going through this or their significant other, what's Mm -hmm. what's the first thing after they hear this interview and they go, wow, I, I really need to 
to start being more intentional, what's what's the first mm-hmm. thing that that he or she should do to make sure that their relationship is on the right path? <laughs> Other than pick up a copy of Love in the Time of Medical School, mm-hmm. aside from that, um, I think it's to have a check in because wherever you are in your in your relationship. Um, those check-ins are going to, are going to be really important to, to seeing where your partner's at. So you can, you can improve things. It could be that up until now, your partner, who's not in medical school, someone like me, maybe they've been feeling really stressed about what medicine is going to mean for your collective future, but they haven't felt entitled to talk about it because they're not the ones taking the exams. Maybe the medical student is feeling overwhelmed or I know Brian felt guilty that I had to move somewhere. So really kind of getting some of those feelings out in the open about what you've been feeling about the process and and saying, okay, how can we how can we start to support each other? What do you need? You know, what do you need when I'm on a 15 hour shift? What do you you know, do you what do you need in terms of, um, you know, what do I need? What do you need? How do we manage each step? So I think having that initial check-in and also cutting yourselves a little bit of slack is really hard. Um, dating a med student is, is not an easy task. It seems like the goalpost is always moving and the expectations keep getting higher. And uh, there are going to be a lot of competing priorities so cutting yourselves a little bit of slack as a couple as you try to figure it out um, and cutting each other a little bit of slack. You're working on it. As long as you're working on it together as a team, uh, you'll get there. You can get there. All right. There you have it. Again, that was Sarah Epstein from DatingMed.com, author of Love in the Time of Medical School. Now, I know you're excited to learn how to win one of five copies of this book. The first thing you need to do is go to facebook.com slash Sarah Epstein Insights. Epstein is E-P-S-T-E-I-N and then Insights. Go to facebook.com Sarah Epstein Insights. Like her page. That's the page she has set up for the book and her being an author now. And then go to the show notes page for this podcast, medicalschoolhq.net slash 251. And leave a comment, leave a comment there with what your biggest concern is about juggling medical school and your relationship. Out of those comments, we will pick five winners randomly. If you're interested in the book, go check it out on Amazon. It's $4.99 right now. Sarah marked it down, special sale price for this podcast. So it's $4.99. Right now, again, that's Amazon Kindle for love in the time of medical school. I hope this episode was useful for you as you are on your journey, not just by yourself, but with your significant other, whether that's a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whoever it may be. Have them check out this book. Have them check out this podcast. I hope you join us next week here at the medical school headquarters and the pre-med years where we talked to a medical student who talked about his ADHD in his personal statement and how that came about, and also some other struggles that he had on his journey to becoming a medical student. We'll see you next time here at the Pre-Med Years.